these are all things that attract the next buyer because you have to think about that next buyer when you're buying any type of property. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19-year-old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real-life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. With us today is Mike Hansen, realtor and real estate investor. I'm excited to bring him on today because Mike's been in the trenches accumulating properties. He has seven multifamily properties and successfully pivoted from a corporate job to being a full-time real estate investor and realtor. Today, you're going to learn about passive income, living rent-free, buying your first property, managing your own properties, and dealing with tenants. So please welcome Mike Hansen. Hey, Drew. Thanks for having me today. I'm so happy to be here and excited to uh, jump into all this. Great. Appreciate you being on. Why don't we just jump right into it? How'd you get started in real estate? Sure. So it goes back to my father. He was a mortgage lender up in Northern Illinois, and he saw various clients of his coming through the office, investing in real estate and having some strong cash flow from that. So he decided you know, he wanted to give it a try too. So he started investing in real estate up in Waukegan, Illinois, and slowly built his portfolio Nice. Uh, and over time, you know, I, I remember as a young kid helping him paint apartments and lay floors and install fixtures. And that pivoted to me, you know, working on paying bills and bookkeeping and things like that. And from there I was hooked, like real estate became a passion and, and something that I, you know, made me excited every morning. Nice. What did, what did your dad do? Did he work at a bank or was a... So he worked at a savings and loan and he basically originated mortgages. So he, you know, someone would come in for a home loan and he, you know, would take the application and run, run through the whole process. Okay. Nice. And you could see their bank accounts too. You could see their they, bank accounts. How they were doing. Yep, exactly. Okay, nice. yep. And that's cool that he, that he's able to involve you in that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was, it was really nice. And, you know, I, I learned so much from him and, and that really drove my passion and drove my interest. Nice. I was able to do it the opposite direction. I was able to get my dad involved later on about doing, doing the construction work okay. with us. Yeah. I mean, on some, on one of the student rental properties, the Mifflin one, we, we'd go up there and work on it together, That's but it was nice not, bonding time. Yeah, it was the opposite yep. direction of me basically getting them to go and yeah. you know, work for nearly for free for three days. So yeah. once a year, cool. so you got interested in it from mm -hmm. seeing what your dad was doing, I guess kind of in, in, uh, what was his like portfolio? Like these were just like, they were single family houses or they were apartments or what kind of stuff were you seeing? So we started off buying, you know, two flats and single family homes and, you know, he'd go in and renovate them. So add value. So he's able to, to nice. get a higher rent and then essentially rent them out, stabilize the property and either hold it long-term or sell it. And eventually started working his way up to larger buildings, you know, 12 units, then 24 units and just nice. went out from there. Nice. So then I guess, so you kind of got the, you got the itch seeing what he was mm -hmm. doing Then what you, was kind of the first thing you did or what you, you so know? having that background in real estate, um, I, you know, led me to the university of Wisconsin, Madison. It has one of the best real estate programs in the country and, you know, just really wanted to go there from a young age. And luckily I got in 
and ended up majoring in real estate marketing. And then nice. So you, I guess, so when you applied to Madison, you already knew what the real estate program? I looked into it well in advance, like years before I was even thinking about colleges, I knew about the real estate program. That's interesting because then, I mean, I went there too, obviously mm-hmm. that's how we met, but then that I just sort of lucked out really Fell into because I wanted to go in yeah. state. That was the best place, you know, I'm from yep. Wisconsin and then out of the Wisconsin schools. And I was thinking of being a doctor. I thinking that would be a cool plan. Like, uh, you know, maybe like, like the subway restaurants are really hot when we were in high, when we were in high school, you know, it's a new concept. So I was like, maybe I should be a dermatologist or something. I could open up subways and, yeah. you know, do that. But long story short, I just decided let's major in business instead on the orientation day. So well, that, you made a good decision. I think life out, worked out. But then lucked out that they had, you know, the, the best or second best program, depending yeah. on what you're looking at. Well, nice. So then, so you majored in real estate and marketing at Madison. Mm-hmm. Then what did you What'd you do after school? So out of school, I was recruited by Merrill Lynch Capital. You know, started my job you know, right after graduation, working in real estate, commercial finance, and there we did you know bridge loans and construction loans on large commercial properties. So a typical project for us would be you know a large you know 100 to 300 unit apartment complex that ground up new construction, condo conversions, and we did bridge loans for companies that would come in and reflag a hotel, which basically means they'd buy like one branded hotel and brand it to a higher, you know, higher quality hotel, make some renovations and then instantly increase the value. Once they increase the value, they get their permanent financing. Yeah. So it was very interesting. It was it was fun to see the dynamics of the construction loans. It was interesting to see what people were doing to add value in different markets around the United States, and you know, really gained a lot of useful knowledge working there. I, I actually still remember when they went and they had talked at one of the it was a UW just like real estate club, you know, talk or something mm-hmm. like that. I was really I was just still remember I was so impressed how complicated these deals were they were lending on. You know, there was there was some high rise in Miami they were talking about for the. Like the session is really cool. Oh, and there's profit participation in some of these deals, you know, so very, it was very interesting to, to work through them and, you know, got to travel to see the portfolio yeah. as well, which as a young, really recent grad, just being able to be put up in a hotel and go to a Carolina Panthers game, it was really cool. Nice. And then, so how long did you work there about? I worked at Merrill Lynch Capital for about a year and then the downturn came. So with the downturn. You're uh, talking about 2008, 2009. Yes. Yep. yep. With the downturn, we got bought out by G Capital. And with that, I got a one-year contract working with them, which, you know, I was happy. I mean, a lot of people I knew were getting laid off, you know, right away. Yeah. And, I, you know, I had some job security for a year and then I'd figure out what I was going to do. So, you know, learned quite a bit working at GE, way different type of company, you know, worked with some great people and still have connections with, with some of them today. But at the end of that one-year contract, you know, that's, that's when I realized I really wanted to create a, a life by design versus a life by happenstance. And for me, that meant working for myself. Nice. And were you, I guess, kind of when did that thought cross your mind where you wanted to work for yourself? You know, kind of towards, towards the end of my tenure working in corporate on that GE contract, I just figured you never need to worry about job security if you're working for yourself and you can set your own goals and work to achieve those goals. And you're with, you have a lot, a lot of control in that. You really do. And so the, I would start to cross my mind is this, whatever the quote is where it's, you know, you, you know, quit your nine to five to work, you know, just 
It's like the punchlines like every minute, basically. Yeah, like well, that's true. I mean, <laughs> so I, I have unlimited vacation, yeah. but I still work on every vacation. Yeah. But I'd rather have that than not being able to take vacation, you know? So yeah. blessed to have a team that can that, that can help me when I'm out of town. And I'm still very, you know, I'm people can still call me and, and email me even if I'm out of the country. And what's really, and what's great with, you know, having your own business and setting your own schedule, like you don't, you're not needing to ask anybody about it. You're just deciding. Yep. Exactly. You know, so that, yeah, that makes, makes a lot of sense. So then while you're working at Merrill Lynch and mm-hmm. GE, did you do anything to set yourself up then to buy your own properties or? So I, I was always living below my means. So I lived at home with my parents and that meant that I didn't have a rent payment every month and I was able to save, you know, a majority of my paycheck. And I mean, I had aspirations like, you know, to buy a BMW when I started, you know, started working corporate America because I love cars. But instead I went with a RAV4 and, you know, was able to save some money there. And, you know, it was a great car and I, I enjoyed it for like eight years, I think. But, but so basically that helped me set up, set me up for a down payment where I I had, I had the means to buy my first property. And, you know, it, it came down to me thinking like, Hey, I really enjoy living rent-free. How do I live rent-free in the city of Chicago where all my friends are? And it was very clear that what I needed to do was buy a live-in owner-occupied investment property. So, and I, you know, a lot of this story I, I know cause we're, we're friends, yeah. but the, you know, I, I remember all this too. And what really impressed me, I remember we were talking on the phone. I think I was still in school and you were at the Merrill Lynch job. Mm-hmm. And yet you were taking the train and where your parents lived wasn't like close by to work, really. I mean, for most people, like a 15 minute commute's normal. This was either ride your, you know, drive your car to the train or walk and then take a train for like 45 minutes and then walk to the office. And then, you know, this wasn't, we were working past five. So you basically just spend every minute either working or commuting. So it wasn't like easy where that was one thing that I was, you know, always impressed by where you're able to, you know, I'm sure save a lot of money doing that, but it wasn't easy. And then, it, you know, it's, you know, it's enjoyable, you know, to live with your parents, you know, yeah. for some things, but other things it's not where you want to go out with your friends and you're an hour away, you know, and then same thing with the, with the RAV4. I remember we did the cash for clunkers thing, I think on that yep. even, you know, like, so we're making like frugal choices yeah. so we can save money and then, you know, just sort of delay the, the payoff on all this. Exactly. So, I mean, I mean it, my goal, my goal was set out in the future and, to obtain that, I really needed to save. So I did what I could. And it was like a three hours round trip. So it was like an hour and a half each way to get to work, which sounds ridiculous now, especially when people are working from home and, you know, you can roll out of your bed into your right. desk. But And that, you know, and right, because people will, they'll hear like, okay, he has seven properties, yeah. you know, like must be nice. But it's like, well, I mean, what about riding the train basically for three hours, you know, for, for two years. And then mm-hmm. in, I think you had worked at actually at a BMW dealer I did, in, yeah. in high school <laughs> or at some point. So like, that wasn't just like a, like that, you know, who wouldn't want to buy that car. And then you exactly. worked at the place, yeah. but instead, instead of doing that, I mean, obviously you could have, you had a full-time job as a, as a lender, like you could have got that car if you really wanted it, but instead let's delay it. And, you know, you can still, you know, look forward to getting a BMW in the future. So, so then what did you, so. I guess, what did it look like? So you started looking for your first property after you mm-hmm. quit. You were also getting your license at the same time. So then were you were looking like on your own as your own broker then or? So the, the first property I bought before I got my broker's license, but, you know, seeking that property out, I, I really learned a lot about the whole real estate deal process and being able to work with another realtor at the time 
was very useful where I wasn't going in zero experience. I had the experience of that realtor to, to help me with the first one. But, you know, I had a lot of real estate experience where running numbers on a deal to make sure that I'm, I'm getting the cash flow that I want. You know, I, I had some experience with rehab projects and construction, which helped me determine, hey, this property needs a lot of, you know, deferred maintenance, investment and, and capital expenditures. Just it's got a roof that's 35 years old. That thing is probably going to need to be replaced. So having an eye for the physical attributes of the building before I'm making an offer, and then also understanding the market. So the rental comps in the area, what the p- rental potential is, and you know the overall return I'm looking to get, like running all that together, helped me come up with the, the perfect property. And so then how, how did you get, I, I could imagine between school, what you did with your dad, mm-hmm. and then the, the job you had, like that helped with the number side, but then how did yes. you figure out the how do you know about construction? Download our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook today. Accredited investors can sign up for our multifamily investment opportunities as well by hitting the invest now button on our website. Now back to the show. During college, I interned with a developer and, nice. and that was over a summer down in Florida. So I, I worked from ground up new construction there. And then also just working in my dad's business, we rehab so many little houses and oh, okay. and units where a lot of it, I was actually the manual labor. So, yeah. you know, and I, so I learned a lot about like what it took to put in new floors or like budgeting for a new kitchen or like all that stuff I learned at a young age and I was able to apply it even to my first property. And then nice. it just kind of took off from there where over the years, I gained more and more construction experience, digging out basements, doing gut rehabs, and, and things like that. So nice. What? So then, kind of on that initial purchase, so you mm-hmm. were you're saying I'm running the numbers, I'm looking at the physical stuff, but yep. then what would you say you were focusing on the most, or what were you? Because at a certain point, like there's so much stuff uh, you haven't bought a property yet. Yep. At that point, you so much of you you're not aware of like how it'll go. Like what were you focusing on? So location, location, location was number one. So. I really knew where I wanted to be because I wanted to be close to where my friends lived and hung out. So that I zeroed in on that. And then from there, I just tried to find the best properties that, that made sense. And, but then to you at that time, what was, what would, how would you describe like the best property? Cause you're also going to live in it. So yeah, I'm just kind of curious. The best property for me, you know, started with the location and then started and then closely followed by what's the rental potential on this. Am I buying this for a long-term investment? Yes. And I want to see rent growth. I want to see appreciation over the years and, you know, felt really safe doing that. You know, I bought in Lincoln Park and which for, if you're not familiar with Chicago, that's just one of the nicest neighborhoods basically in the city. So, so, and, and, and really like I followed what the trends were in the neighborhood. It's like, whoa, there's a lot of new single family homes. There's a lot of new condo development. There's a good school in the neighborhood. These are all things that attract the next buyer because you have to think about that next buyer when you're buying any type of property. Like how many people can I sell this to? If it's limited, then that yeah. might hurt your chances of selling the property. But if it's broad, you, know, you have a lot of options out there. But then even on your first deal, you were thinking of all that? And I mean, that was because my dad was speaking in my ear because he had experience buying properties for years too. So yeah. I remember that being like a lesson he had. Think about that next person that comes yeah. along. That's right. And that's, I mean, we do that with how we like value all our deals yeah. or we sort of run the numbers, how to actually operate for us. But then we want to make sure if let's say we can operate it like cheaper than most, like when we go sell it, they might not use the same numbers we have. So then mm-hmm. we, we make an adjustment on sale. So we're, we do something similar like now but i'm surprised that's like you know year 15 we're doing stuff like that but i'm surprised you know that you're already thinking of all that because i would say on my first deal i was just i wanted to be 
comfortable with the, there's so much I didn't know. So mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm just focused on cash flow. Yep. Like I want to really make sure I'm going to get this rent number right. And then what my costs are. And then if I screw up all the other stuff, like I paid too much or, and this was with my own money. So I don't have any investors. So just, you know, you can make mistakes, you know, on mm-hmm. your, when it's your, your own money. And then the, you know, just kind of what, what is that? Just really get the cash flow dialed in. And then for me, it was just as simple as like, well, I can live for free in this and there's 200 extra dollars a month. I got a lot of room to yeah. mess it up. Exactly. exactly. And and that that is very important. Like how how big are your margins? If there's a large margin, there's there's more room for, you know, your your speed bumps. So then the first deal you you moved into, what did at that point, you know, were you what did that sort of look like? I mean, obviously let's not get into like exact numbers here, but yep. like you were was it a deal where you could live in it and then you basically you're living in for like for free or there was, how did that look? So I bought a three unit building and it was comprised of three, three beds throughout the building. The the top unit was a duplex up. So two floors. And I lived in the duplex up. People would deem the owner's unit and I had a roommate and then I rented out the other two floors. And with that, I lived rent free for nine years. Wow. And, you know, so that was, it was huge. Yeah. That, that allowed me to then take that savings and then invest it in the next property. And then it just snowballed after that where I still have my savings from living for free. And then I have positive cash flow from that next deal that then I put into the next one. And, you know, that's how I ended up with seven properties. Wow. And because if you think about it, if you more or less link all that time together mm-hmm. for the most part for then for two years working and then there's a little bit of time in between where you hadn't bought the first place yet, mm-hmm. but then for nine years, so more or less 11 of most of the, you know, 11 years, more or less over like a, probably like a 12 year period, you didn't, you had no housing expense. Correct. Wow. That's, you can, that's incredible. You can save a, a lot of money mm-hmm. doing that. And then that, I mean, that's a great story where if, you know, then as a, you know, a realtor today, you could explain that to, you know, potential clients, like here's what you could do. Maybe before we get into that, let's maybe let's talk about some other deals you did. So that was the first deal. Sure. What did the the second deal look like? Did you I brokered that deal? So basically, I bought a building in the Southport Corridor, still own it today. Another three unit property, and basically, what I was looking for was cash flow. You know, where where I have cash on cash, which is basically your return on equity of at least ten percent. And to get to that ten percent, I did need to to do some light remodeling on a garden unit. But so I bought, bought this building. It's it comprised of, you know, a four bedroom duplex up and then a two bed flat and a two bed garden unit. I did renovations that first winter of the garden unit and instantly tripled my rent in that wow. garden unit. And then all of a sudden I was already hitting my 10% cash nice. on cash, which, you know, happened pretty quickly. And, you know, over the years, it's been a really nice, strong cash flowing property. And, you know, we've done reinvested into it just to keep keep up the value and, and, you know, for example, putting in a new garage because the, the old garage was like an old horse stable, basically like that was converted into yeah. a garage. It's like original from the late 1800s. Yeah. So it was like, oh, it's probably time to replace this new concrete, you know, so like brick floor, put a slab, but it was, it was, I mean, you could almost make out the, the horse stalls, but, and I mean, just some refreshing on the other units, yeah. you know, putting in in unit laundry and in the middle unit, cause it didn't have it and white kitchen in that too. And, and really like increasing that rent as well. So nice. for me, if, if the game plan is to, to keep the property for a long time and then sell it, you want to keep continually improving it. So you keep your rents up and, you know, should you need to sell it in any given year, you're competing yeah. with 
with the condo quality units instead of, you know, stuff that feels like it's 20 years old. Or correct. Something. And then like on the kitchen, then if you mm-hmm. went with white cabinets, that was probably, and actually we should back up the years. So the first place you bought, it's like 2009, 10 ish. Uh, the first place I bought was 2010. And then the, when, what year, this place you're just talking about, what year was that? 2012. And then the kitchen the remodel? F- the first kitchen in the garden unit. Right away. That was, that was right away. And I didn't put white cabinets in then because they weren't in. That's why I was asking. Yeah. I figured it was later. If you bought yeah, it in 2012, yeah. you're, you were thinking these brown cabinets are perfect. We, yep, no, exactly. We never so change them. Brown cabinets, brown granite. Yeah. Uh, it still looks, still looks like a nice kitchen, but it's just so not 2015. on trend right now. And then I did the white kitchen like, I think two years ago. So oh, okay, nice. it's, it's a continuous pro- process of not trying to do everything at once. And that, that helps on the cash flow side too, where you're evening out your capital expenditures yeah. and versus, versus having, you know, monster losses in a year because you did everything. That makes a lot of sense. And then, cause then all the subsequent deals, you know, what's interesting where you, a lot of, you know, one strategy people have is they, you know, they're moving around. We're mm-hmm. going to do a FHA loan is three and a half percent down, or we're going to, or just what, whatever, a 5%, like a owner occupant loan. And I'm going to, you know, I have seven properties, but I lived at all of them for a yeah. while, you know, so you, you didn't need to go that route. You ended up just keeping your bills low and then you're, you know, your realtor, you've got other, you know, you got money coming in, then you're just able to save for a down payment. Mm-hmm. More or less, that was the plan. Once you have a down payment, then buy another. Exactly. And I, I thought about going the route of moving between properties, but at the end of the day, I really didn't want to move that often. And so that, that changed that changed everything. I mean, it also helped, you know, I got married and then we're now a dual income. So it, it, it helped us to save even faster. And then what would be interesting? What, I mean, what did your, your wife or girlfriend at the time, what did she think of all this when you, so when I first met Kelly, kind of unique, she, right? she was like, thought I thought I was crazy for investing in real estate. Like she didn't quite understand it at first. Like, Oh, you know, you're, you're making money investing in real estate. But the more I you know talked through it, she became even more interested in real estate than me. We ended up being on the same page, but, but it took, it took me walking through the process. Cause you know, she, yeah, from zero to, to then being a real estate investor. That's so, great. Cause that, I mean, being on the same page, then she'd be, if she wants to buy the next deal as well, you know, or wants, you know, is interested in that, then I mean, that makes things a lot easier. Real estate's, you know, your thing. And then it takes some like, you know, arm twisting to get the next property. Yeah, she was, yeah. you know, all in, which that's yep. great. So then what, I mean, then what was the, the, the third deal? Like, what is that? I mean, a similar kind of thing, just something. So the third deal, actually a student rental in Lakeview. And basically I purchased that through another, another broker. It was off market. Nice. Uh, and you know, I, I do this quite often for myself and for clients. It, it's it's you know canvassing what's on the market, but also what's off market. So he had this property that had been on the market in the years past. The owner was anticipating tearing it down eventually to build a single family, but then life changed, and uh, really like the return numbers were good on it. Although you know it needed needed some work. You know, so we we've done you know some work to it, but that that could end up being a building that we end up redeveloping in the future too where we haven't completely gutted the place. We haven't put in new kitchens. We've just, you know, elevated, elevated it bit nice. by bit. Okay. So future developer, maybe. I mean, I, I think if it makes sense, if the numbers make sense, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like discount any opportunity for yeah. selling it. So whether it's eventually tearing it down and building a single family or holding it onto it forever, you know, it might make more sense to do that than gutting yeah. it and, you know, putting in, you know, condo quality units, but it's close to the DePaul campus. And so, I mean, the units rent out really easily. We've got some great, great residents there. And that's, that's interesting to hear about this. Each, each deal is pretty different then, mm-hmm. you know, and that, you know, or somewhere on the market, somewhere off market, somewhere 
more or less moving ready. Some needed rehab. It's interesting. I mean, any other, no, we don't need to go through every deal. So any other like notable ones may, might be interesting for like listeners to hear about? You know, I, I think that most of my other deals were kind of came up the, the ordinary way. All of them were on the MLS and, you know, it just took going through many properties and, and running like there, there's so many properties I even ran the numbers on before seeing. And if it didn't work out, if it wasn't even close, then I wouldn't see it. Okay. That's a good takeaway. So yeah. then you, you would, you like to run the numbers before even going and seeing it. Correct. I, I run the numbers because, you know, I, in the past, when I first started off, I had wasted my time at a couple of buildings and no one likes to waste time. Right. I don't want to waste time for myself. Now I don't want to waste time for my clients. I don't want to waste time for even the other broker. So if it's never going to work, then I don't even see it. But it makes sense. We yeah. do the same thing. Yeah. And I mean, the point is not, you know, it's just to kind of get an initial gauge where, mm -hmm. you know, if you make your numbers and this is like the perfect scenario and it's still not going to work out, then no need to check it out. Yeah. But if you know, if it's close, then yeah. go look, maybe, maybe you realize once you go, the rent should be higher or there's something that they weren't thinking about it. You know, Chicago, oh, yeah. huge yeah. unfinished basement. And there so. are a lot of properties that are right there on the fringe where it's like, you know, if we can get rents up, then it makes total sense. But I'm not going to look at, you know, three flat that has all one bedrooms that, you know, is listed over a million dollars. It just doesn't make sense. I'll never get that rent out. It makes total sense. So then I guess to kind of, let's talk about the being, uh, being a realtor today mm -hmm. then. So I guess when that, that business, so you started, you got your license after, after G, mm -hmm. GE, then what did, what did that look like? So then you just right away, you started trying to, you started getting clients. So right at first, you know, I'm, I'm working on getting my license. And in the meantime, to, to be able to have some income coming in, because when you become a realtor, you know, it takes time to build up a business. I, I was working for my, my family managing the, the last of the, the buildings up in Waukegan. You know, in years past, my dad was slowly starting to sell the properties. I still had a 24 unit building up there that my, my parents wanted to live in Florida. And it was a perfect opportunity for me to step in and say, okay, I'll take over management while I'm transitioning, you know, into being an investor of my own. So, yeah, which yeah. is great. It's interesting to hear that. I mean, you had, you did the same thing for us too. You know, yeah. we had our first four deals here, you were managing those. And what I always thought was interesting was, you know, people, they'll quit their job and they're, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of need like a full plan, you know, but you, you were ready. I'm just going to dive into this real estate thing and then kind of, you know, in like the first year then, okay, I could, you know, just manage these properties in Waukegan for, for, for a fee. Mm -hmm. I can help, help out Drew on these four for a fee. And then this is sort of, you know, call it like kind of part-time gigs that can work around, you know, being a realtor, finding your own deals. But then that I'm sure helped a lot until the, the realtor business, to, you know, took exactly. Off. It did. It all, everything fit together really well. And I, I gained useful information, useful knowledge out of all those different aspects. So I never, I never thought that, you know, anything was beneath me at the time, you know, I was, I was out of a job and looking to transition to what I wanted to become. Yeah. And so I took that as a learning opportunity to, to really do everything I could. Nice. And how did you, you know, one thing, and I think I had asked and the answer was mostly from your, from your dad, but mm -hmm. at that point, I mean, do you have any examples or people you were looking to? Cause now, I mean, most, most people that like we either went to school with or that we know, I mean, no one, not a lot of people who are quitting their job like two years in uh, on their <laughs> I, own. So. Yeah. I had conversations, a lot of conversations with my dad. He was, he was the main source. And then of course, hearkening my my, my my knowledge from the University of Wisconsin, and I remember, I mean, we had conversations about it too, just just about like real estate investment in general. Knowing you invested early on in 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 Madison, 
So, you know, taking all that stuff, you know, together, I really, I really, you know, form, form my plan out of that. So then what was nice for, for your situation, it wasn't like you're, this is something you had at least not even seen before. Yeah. You had, you had not done it yourself, but you could at least look like, oh, my dad was able to do it, you mm-hmm. know, on a part-time basis. And then, you know, you had a a friend who was doing it too, you know, like, so then that I'm sure was, it's interesting. That would be someone, cause even, you know, for myself, I do that where I look at other sponsors or people that still, what are they doing? And, you know, I just draw a lot of inspiration from what I just see, you exactly. know, just other, other yeah. people doing. I mean, other people have done it in the past. Why not look at what they've done and follow the scripts? I mean, it's, it's as easy as that. I mean, why reinvent the wheel when other people have done it? And that, that's, that's a great way to think about things, mm-hmm. you know, where you see someone doing it and there's, you know, they're not anything necessarily magical about what's going on. They're just started, you know, yeah, they started in and the first deal is, is kind of scary. You know, yeah. you know, it's a lot of money and, and any, any purchase could be, but, but I mean, once you get going, it, it's becomes easy. Nice. So then as a, as a realtor, then mm-hmm. what are you, you know, what is, what is your business look like? What do most of your clients looking for? So, so basically I, my, my specialty is, is helping out clients buy and sell property within the city of Chicago. So that's anything from single family homes, condos, to multi-unit investment properties. I also help individuals buy and sell in the suburbs too. And I mean, it's, it's been great building a team at Keller Williams and you know, really kind of expanding my business. Great. And I think, so then I'm sure a lot of clients are interested in, you know, buying rental properties. Mm-hmm. I mean, how that, I mean, that'd be a way you'd, I'm sure, you know, get, you know, win clients, you know, where they want to do something and you've done it seven times, you know, so yeah. I'm, I'm sure that that helps. It, do, it does help. And, you know, so having that investment knowledge, you know, really, really helps for anyone looking for an investment property, but also all my experience with construction management helps for any real estate purchase. So because I've, I've done most of the rehabs that people are are looking to perform. So whether it's a new kitchen, new bath, want to finish a basement or gut, you know, gut a home, you know, we, we even gutted, <laughs> gutted a home. So from yeah. start to finish, I've been through it all. You're saying you did. Yes. Like you yeah. and your wife did. Yes. That. I, 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 my wife and I developed, you know, developed our, our home. Basically. Yeah. So, so the initial three unit that you bought, the reason that it, it was the nine years period ended is because then you, you turned it into a single family house with a, we basically decided we, we love our neighbors and we love our location and decided what the down payment we were saving for, for buying a house, we, we gutted what we were living in. Yeah. So we basically gained a floor. So we, we were living in the top two floors and we gutted the, the main level that was a three bed, one bath, made that our living space. And then we renovated the garden unit ahead of time. And we actually lived in the garden unit while we renovated to save money. You know, nice. for that period too. But the, the garden unit, you know, we, we can have it as an income producing, you know, unit like nice. right, you know, right now we have a couple of people renting from us downstairs, but the long-term vision is it, it'll be more of a in-law suite where we've got friends all over the country, family all yeah. over the country. They want to come and visit it. You know, they can stay there and Great. It's their own unit. So well, that's a nice setup and nice to have a little separation too. Exactly. So. Yep. Especially for long-term stays. Nice. Then what, what, what about, why don't you tell me some strategies? So let's say I'm coming to you, I'm a potential home buyer. Yep. I want to buy like a one to four unit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm seeing these people on, you know, whatever TV talking about buying sure. rental properties. What, what would, what would you tell me? So first step is trying to determine what you actually want. So are you looking for a live-in investment opportunity or are you looking for just having cash flow opportunity? So do you want, do you want to, live with their tenants and live for free or have passive income. 
And it can start off with, you know, buying a live-in owner occupied unit and then turn into a passive income stream turning into, well, we're living there forever now, but, but both, both ways work really well for, for growing wealth. Cause you've got, you know, principal pay down, you've got cash flow, and you've got appreciation. So three, three things working for you. So that, that'd be the first step. So figure out what you want. Second step, you know, figure out location. And for my clients, I'm there to help them through the whole process, you know, whether it's, you know, helping them determine if a living opportunity is right for them, you know, if they, if they, if they want to live in that type of situation, which, you know, I found to be great because you, you essentially have, you have control over your property. So, yep. you know, it's a nice, nice thing. But then for the, you know, so then I guess if you're, you're talking about a live-in property, then maybe mm-hmm. they're going to ask about property management. Maybe let's, let's get, let's go to that at the, at the end. So what about for like financing? Do people, do they, they come into you like, what, what are my options? Or you just recommend they talk to like a loan yeah. originator. So, you know, that, that is a good, that is a good you know, first step as well. So talking to a, a lender and do you have, there's different loan products for someone that's living in their investment property versus someone that is buying a standalone investment property. And you can, you can usually get a, a better rate on the live-in property. So that's another game plan. If you want to get a lower interest rate, 30 years fixed, you know, get owner occupied financing, live in it, and then you can move on to your next one and, nice. and have just low interest rates on all your properties. And then lenders are more flexible with the down payment when you are not flexible as they just require less if you live in it. For for a two unit, I think, you know, there's some banks that are lending 10% or 15% on a two unit right now. And for a three and a four unit, it's it's traditionally 20% still. 20% but, down. But, but yeah, I, I know that some non-owner occupied, it could be up to 25% depending on the bank. Okay, nice. And I think in you know Chicago, at least we're... Where you're mostly working, the mm-hmm. home prices are high enough where like the FHA program is hard to find something and be below those maximum mm-hmm. loan amounts they have. But for a lot of people across the country, you could do this FHA program three and a half percent down, and you know, not everyone's a, a a realtor, but if they also were, then you know, you're also getting your commission on it, so then you're offsetting. I mean, like half of that already. But you know, so that's that's a great program for people to look into. I think you know, if you're living, yeah, I think so too. especially Absolutely. if you live in an area where most all the properties are going to be loan amounts that'll be below those amounts, mm-hmm. then your issue with that program for Chicago, like a three flat and, you know, nowadays like a million bucks. So then you're over that, over that limit, you know, pretty yeah. quick, but in the rest of the most other parts of the country, it's, you know, it's right within those dollar amounts. And so you can get into a property if you're fine living in it and for very little down. So then that's a way to do it. And you just got to be careful because you're really levering, levering up. But then you, you know, you can offset that by managing it yourself, you know, exactly. like keeping the cost exactly. low. Exactly. Keeping the cost low. And then, you know, time heals that because I mean, you are paying down your mortgage over time and then you do have that appreciation like I, I was, I was talking about. So then, then your equity cushion continues to grow over time. So then out of your clients, mm-hmm. what, what's the most common, like, so they, they bought a two to four unit, what's their most common, we'll call it strategy. Like what are they exactly doing? So most of my clients are actually buying standalone investment properties and which, what does that mean? They're so not, that, moving, they're not into them. moving into right. them, but you know, a select few have been moving into them and, and uh, but yeah, I would say majority are in what size this is, they're talking two to four units, or uh, eight three units to four or? has been the sweet spot for, for both actually non-owner occupied and yep. owner occupied. Uh, there's a ton of those in Chicago. There's a ton. So. And really it, it, going back to kind of like an old school methodology, it's like, well, you, if you buy a multi-unit and you live in it, you, you save on your housing expense. Right. And something that was done 
you know, years ago that I feel like is a trend coming back now. So then really it's not, it's just kind of, some people are moving in, taking advantage maybe mm-hmm. of these loan programs. Other people, Correct. they're just saying, I, I just want to yep. keep it as an investment. I'm okay oh, yeah. putting a little more money down and then I'll just run it. Exactly. Like I have clients that are, are looking strictly for passive income into perpetuity. So like they're, yeah. they're looking for armchair investments essentially where purchase the property, have third party management and they're just collecting the check. Nice. And one thing that's interesting too, when you think about it where, okay, so you could, if you live in the property, sure you're, you're saving cause you're not, you know, you have rent offsetting expenses, but you're also not collecting revenue Correct. on that unit. So if you, you know, so to me, the main difference is the down payment situation where if you had the down payment for, mm-hmm. you could put 20% down and on all your properties, then the numbers would be the same. If it's like, well, I'm just going to live in this condo and not have to be at the same property. That's just, it's like, it's kind of the same thing. As long as your condo is like a similar price to the, let's say the yep. unit you would have, you would have taken offline and lived in yourself. So that's something too, that like, I think people they'll figure out, they figure out and they go, well, mm-hmm. I would could move out of my place. I'm paying, you know, 2000 a month, but I just moved in that unit for 2000 a month. My house is rented and stay, you know, so then I, I bet that's why people are coming to that conclusion. Cause I've sort of looked at that where I've lived in places I've owned at different different times. I think I've lived in three of my buildings over the years, but it wasn't you know, only one of the times it was because I could, I could have a lower down payment. Otherwise mm-hmm. it was just sort of like convenience. Like I knew we had a unit opening up and just oh, went for it. And there's that, that convenience factor. And, and for me, I knew I wanted to buy something and I didn't have two down payments. I had one. Oh, so I bought something I could live in. I, I didn't know how long I'd stay there. I didn't realize I'd, you know, be there nine years, you know, on the rental side. Yeah. And then, well, I know it's developing it later on. That was a great plan. And then time goes by quickly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just like any real estate deal, it goes up in value. You pay the loan down and I'm sure that's worked out, worked out great. Mm-hmm. So then what about, so then you've been managing properties for a long time. Let's, let's kind of close with talking about property management. And so what do you, you know, really you've been managing properties. I mean, I feel like there's like 20 plus years almost if you started out <laughs> as, a, as a high schooler here. I guess. And I, maybe I was an assistant property manager at that time. I don't know. But uh, so I, I, I actually enjoy property management. I like interacting with people. And to me, like I have my systems in place that makes property management easy. So you know, like what are some examples of that? Oh, just having like, you know, some software to help out or having database of vendors that I can reach out to for specific problems and, you know, where I could trust them. So like for maintenance requests, for example, when I first started out, I would meet the maintenance person out at the property or I'd meet ABT when they deliver appliance company. And that was a big waste of time. So what did I do? I, you know, I look at everything in, in my business and like do it delegated or delete it. And so, you know, for meeting the maintenance guy out, I deleted that task because they don't need to be met. They can handle everything on their own. And then for meeting ABT, I delegate that to the tenants. They need to be home to accept delivery of their appliance and they're happy to do so. They're getting a new appliance. They're getting a new appliance. So just having, having those processes in place makes it, makes it easy. Nice. So then kind of, then setting up systems and then getting sort of, I mean, that's the first answer I kind of, to me, I heard just getting the reliable vendors, you know, they were, was that, was that easy to find, you know, maintenance people you can just send without meeting them or how did that, how'd you do that? It takes some time. So, you know, we've been through a number of maintenance people over the years and are always looking to expand because you just never know when someone's going to get busy or someone gets, you know, gets hurt and can't work anymore. Or so, you know, it's a constant, there's a constant effort of 
you know, reaching out and finding new sources, but consistently I've worked with the same general contractor and same, you know, general maintenance team for, I mean, five to 10 years. I mean, it's, uh, so there's been consistency there and then you'll have some trades people like a plumber that I've used for almost the same amount of time, but then I have second and third plumber because it's hard to rely on one person. It's there's labor shortages and you have to deal with what you have. It makes total sense. I think a lot of people, you know, when they talk to me about maybe investing on their own or something, they're, they're talking a lot about there are a lot of worry around property management or just emergencies. Mm-hmm. So if you're managing it yourself, what would you sort of say, I mean, about that concern people have? You know, there aren't as many emergencies as you think, and you have your people for them. You know, I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I've shown up when water heaters are leaking three floors down and I've been the one pulling the carpet out. You know? yeah. So, I mean, stuff like that happens every yeah. once in a while. And, but for the most part, I'm not showing up to emergency situations anymore. You know, if someone says there's a gas leak, I'm not the one to show up. I don't have, you know, call people's gas, they come out. You know, usually it has to do with water, gas leaks, you know, stuff like that. But it's very manageable once you realize I'm not the person to, to fix it. You have your people to fix it. But you're getting the, the calls, though. I'm getting the calls, yes. So and, then, And I'm getting the calls, and then I just delegate out to the who is the best person to fix it. Because then the, the answer I'm hearing, and I've sort of, at least the conclusion I've come to is, so you think, okay, you're in charge of this building 24 yep. hours a day, every day. And then the actual things that are like a true middle of the night emergency, it's more or less just like a water issue, you know, some sort of big leak, like your example. And then, you know, a heat out in the winter. Yep. Some parts of the country, AC out, you know, if you're, if you're in the South and then and that's almost like it or then like a true disaster, like a fire. I mean, where it's, so it's, it's a lot of the most everything basically doesn't fall in those buckets. It's like my something's broken, but then that can just wait till the next morning or the next mm-hmm. business day, basically. So it's not as bad as people think. They're no. thinking like, well, I'll be out there at three in the morning fixing a toilet. But I mean, you could just send someone at 8 a.m. to fix it. Exactly. And I mean, there's ways there's preventative maintenance that you can prevent your furnace from going out or, right. you know pipes freezing, you make sure your tenants are setting their temperature in their home, even when they're on vacation to a high enough level where you're not worried about pipes freezing. So there, there's, there's ways to, to prevent the catastrophe from happening. And, you know, something that you pick up on over time, but it, it's all manageable. Nice. And then what about, you know, how did you meet these vendors then? Cause that'll be another thing. Someone that I buy my first two unit, mm-hmm. I don't have any maintenance people. I don't know anything about you know, construction or maintenance. So what do they do? Word of mouth, meeting them from, you know, from being out of, at a property and, you know, just happening upon their information. I mean, that's the simplest way, but you know, I've scrolled through Angie's list and called various vendors, but I would say the best is word of mouth. And, you know, you, if someone's used them and they're happy with them, that's, that's always been the the most useful way to to find someone. That makes sense. And then I think the plumber you're mentioning like that, like that guy I met in the garage where I lived, he was yeah. thawing out a pipe. Yeah, so I was exactly. like, well, here's a, here's a guy doing emergency calls who showed up. Let comes me, on the let weekend. Me, let me get his information. Yep. And then that's, you know, one of our main plumbers then. Yep. But what, and then kind of something else I heard in there and to pull that out is the, where you were saying you were contacting them about keeping their heat or, so then what, what have you learned around that? Like for tenant communication or being proactive? I mean, to me, I heard that oh, yeah. as, being proactive and having like some sort of process around it. It's important to be proactive with, with tenants and, and have a plan in place going into, you know, each season essentially. 
and you know that that will make for happier tenants and and really like for someone going into managing their own property it's important to to go in with thick skin because people never email you saying oh everything's great it's always there's some sort of issue and then the way around that is is you just take care of the issue efficiently and effectively and then you know the tenants will love you for that so you know it it, it all circles back to just making sure you have the systems in place to to take care of business but then how do you how do you not take stuff like that personally then you know i mean the first couple of times you do and just over time you realized i'm just a pro- i'm a problem solver here so they're coming to me with a problem don't take it personally like i didn't create the problem and i'm going to do what it takes to fix it and then it's it's done so and by that point you know they're appreciative and very happy you took care of things so then you'll so sort of you'll see through the whatever this like the frank communication or people yelling or crying like you just see it then as that's just a, a problem i'm gonna just yeah deal with the problem yeah. like i i and, and usually it's hard to, to interpret someone's emotional state when they're writing an email versus you go and yeah. have an actual conversation with them and everything's fine so yeah. okay so then some of that's experience too the email or you know we have for our thing and you use it too this the maintenance portal yep. that you're just typing in a box you know so it's like it doesn't come through friendly you no. know where you, most people don't think maybe I should like throw a hello on this or something or how's it going guys I got this thing like they just type in the request here's the two things yep exactly need it done quick you know or like whatever but that okay interesting to hear how you approach that I would for for me I've when I see those things I'm more I just kind of think like how do I want to describe it where I'm trying to see the big picture mm-hmm. where okay we we got this Bill, like you know, if it's your initial place, I got this three unit. This deal is going super well. I was able to get into it. I'm, you know, I'm doing well, like living in it financially. So then this person complaining about their toilet that's angry at me right now, it's not bothering me. We'll get it fixed. And then I'm really happy with yeah. how the deal's going. So I kind of zoom out to the deal level where even these things where we've had fires at building, or I think maybe that water leak with ripping out the carpet that might have been at my building okay I, think, I thought that was something else with the with the furnace so i didn't i didn't remember if that was the drain one or a water heater so no, it was the water heater okay i didn't jump in on that one but you had a couple of saves at that building another one where a tenant was at a pipe break above their water heater or below it and mm-hmm. then you know where the shutoff was so good yep. you know thank you for that as well yep, so yeah. save the building a second time and so i sort of on that stuff i just zoom out to the deal level and i'm like well this deal is going super well this you know carpet and drywall and water heater is not really gonna yeah. Well, in my day it's not so gonna drill you keep it so. moving because people will, will comment about that and then i'll i just think like well what i'm just not gonna buy any more properties because i'm gonna be worried about carpet and they'll yeah. just keep moving so mm-hmm. interesting you have a similar thing where you just kind of see it this is just today's problem i'll just get this fixed and i'm just gonna kind of continue on i'm not really worrying about this person getting getting emotional or whatever the new problem is Nice. So then any, any like advice or any other stuff about property management you think would be interesting for someone to hear that maybe hasn't done it before? Well, for me, I, I manage my properties, you know, A, because I like it, but B, because it saves, it saves me money. You know, I'm, I'm already in the business of real estate, so there's commission saved. And then there's also management fee saved. The commissions you're talking about, like paying someone to lease units or what? Correct. Correct. So, you know, I, I put all my units up on the MLS. So there's other brokers that yep. can that can rent them, but then I'm only paying out a cooperative compensation. Yep. On that. No need to pay myself. That makes a lot of sense. So then your your advice, your thought is so if you're starting out with this, like just think of it as I'm saving money. Yep. Okay, nice. You're saving money. And and even if you're you you don't have to be a realtor to rent out your own unit. I mean there's there's other 
platforms where you can rent rent them out off market. Yeah. And so that's another savings for you there where you're not paying a leasing commission to anyone. Uh, right. And and if you, especially if you only have, let's say you have one property and you're renting out two units, it, right. it becomes very easy for you to, you know, step downstairs and you right. know, show the unit. And just put that ad on, you know, Zillow or let it go to all the Zillow sites. and Exactly. Do it that way. You know, that that's interesting you say that. I would add one thing or, you know, for managing your own properties, what I've liked about it is mm-hmm. you're like, you're learning a lot about the property and just how stuff works. You know, that was something I read early on in one of the first real estate investing books that I read. The the person talked about you should manage, try to manage at least your first one or two properties. And then you'll know what are you hiring this management company to actually do. So that's how I always kind of thought of it too was, you know, on the early deals that I did, where I was managing them was, you know, so something for like a takeaway for a, a listener who you're going to buy your first property. Just think of it as even a learning experience. Now you actually know what's going on at the property, how mm-hmm. stuff really works. Then if you hire it out, you know what you're sort of paying for. Exactly. And that's, that's very smart, smart way to look at it. So it's from a book. Don't worry. It was yeah, my original idea. With it. Well, nice. Well, great, Mike. This was a lot of fun. I mean, I think, why don't we just leave it there? You know, thanks for being on. I mean, how, how would our listeners get in touch with you? Great. Well, you can reach out to me via email, mike at hanson-team.com. You can also reach out on, on my website, hanson-team.com. And also, I'm on LinkedIn. Find me, Michael Hanson at Keller Williams in Chicago. So, I mean, if you are interested in learning more about you know passive income or you know living rent-free, house payment-free, we'd love to start the conversation. Perfect. All right. Thanks for being on. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. And thanks for joining us. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us on the Rise and Invest podcast. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. If you'd like to dive even deeper into real estate investing, check out our company's website, riseinvest.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook, our trends report, and our blog are all available on our website. If you are an accredited investor, you can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Rise Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries. The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. And the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.